Picture this. What if you took your favorite porn film and you remade it entirely using marionette puppets? And in so doing, you succeeded and created the most incredible marionette puppets ever made. Truly amazing looking. On one hand, your project would be a success. On the other hand, it would still be an insane waste of fucking time because who wants to watch a porn done with marionette puppets? On an unrelated note, we saw the new Lion King. Toot toot. <laughs> <laughs> Come on down, step right into the box office time machine. We'll talk about a movie, perhaps even two. One of them is old and the other brand new. I feel like marionette porn would have been better. <laughs> marionette porn, you know, I'm it just thinking. It would have been more interesting. <laughs> I was thinking about this after the movie. Uh, spoilers, it sucks. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about this movie, and I was like, if like trying to enjoy a big emotional musical performed entirely by expressionless husks <laughs> that can't emote or dance or move in any way is kind of like trying to jerk off to the sex scene from Team America World Boys. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, what is the point? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, on a very practical note, the point is to make money. Mm, and yeah, yeah. Uh, probably the ex extend the longevity of their, like, copyright and, you know, intellectual property. But yeah, in terms of, like, an artistic <laughs> reason to do it, I don't know. Okay, yes, that's literally the point. Also, to <laughs> to move far... We're I getting guess, like, too far. Hello, I'm John. <laughs> I'm Veronica. We get way too excited discussing Lion King. Why is it? Uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we, uh, this week... America decided for a second weekend in a row to all go see a movie they saw 25 years earlier, nearly word for word, <laughs> only without any emotion. <laughs> yeah, I think like normally we save the discussion about like why America went to see it to the end, but uh, I don't know. Should we start with that? I don't know. All I know is, we, well... We're not really going to do a plot synopsis this week, because uh, here's the plot. It's fucking The Lion King. Yeah, the plot is Lion King, and if you're unfamiliar <laughs> with it, then the plot is Hamlet. <laughs> and if you're not familiar with that, then get off my podcast. The plot is the story of an entitled brat named Simba. The prince to a kingdom who's run, a, run by Mufasa, just a real downer of a dad who just talks about death constantly. <laughs> Yeah, this is the most self-aware line <laughs> you would ever see. Like, did Mufasa read the script ahead of time? He might as well just be like, I'm going to die in a few minutes. <laughs> um, I, how do we get into this conversation? Yeah, I, I like I don't know because, yeah, we don't want to do a plot synopsis for this. Uh, so I guess what what would be like 
I guess we said also what our general impression is. So what are like the most glaring points for you, I guess? The most glaring point, like... Um, like the most like glaring thing that you want to talk about or like the most like misjudged thing well, or like the most... I, it, it's uh, my, you know, dumb, strained analogy that I tried to fit into an overly long intro. <laughs> it, I mean, it's... They succeeded 100%. The tech is groundbreaking. It's also useless. Yeah, it's in service of nothing exciting. I, I, I remember seeing The Lion King in theaters, and I remember how blown away everyone was. I remember seeing The Lion King on Broadway in theaters, and how blown away everyone was. I was telling you last night, it's like, the story's simple and fun, the characters are good, the songs are good, everything about, like, the idea and the script is a slam dunk. And then both the, the movie had this amazing animation and the Broadway musical had these incredible puppets. So it was just like, oh, Lion King is amazing. And here we have, again, amazing technical stuff, but I felt nothing at any point in this movie. I think the only time I did feel something is when I allowed my mind to not imagine them as real lions. Mm. I don't know if you were ever able to make that distinction but sometimes when i didn't really think about the fact that these were like supposedly real lions and sort of like thought about it in a more abstract way or may may maybe imagined them like more like cartoons it sounds like you're describing a cartoon <laughs> yeah so whenever i could made could have made that distinction i was okay with it but anytime really that my brain caught up to the fact, again, that these are very, very realistic-looking lions. Uh -huh. I It, like, paradoxically took me out of the story. Anytime I was reminded about how these are supposed to be real lions, I was like, this is so dumb. Yeah, it's, um, so... <laughs> we should do some kind of uh, setup here. Um, for those who don't know, this is the 2019 version of The Lion King. Continuing the trend started in the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland up through Maleficent, through Dumbo, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast of these There's live been action. so many Disney. now. It's this is insane. the second one this year. Um, oh, and uh, this is uh, unlike... So there have kind of been two versions of these. There have been the ones that are... Well, three. There, the first few, the Alice in Wonderland and... Uh, Maleficent were reimaginings. Um, Alice in Wonderland was like, what if Alice in Wonderland, but Lord of the Rings? I don't know. Is that what it was? I never saw Apparently, it. Apparently, I didn't see it either. I thought it was, what if it was Alice in Wonderland, but Pirates of the Caribbean? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Some fa like fantasy epic. I know there's like war and shit. Oh, God. Uh, Maleficent Dark. is, what if the villain from Sleeping Beauty, but rape allegory? Oh, is that what it was? I, uh, again, I have not seen any of them. Yeah, the prince or the king or whatever uh, uh, seduces her and cuts off her wings, and that's Whoa. and then she has a morning after wing thing, and then she's mad at him. Oh wow! That's... I also didn't see this. This is not me being dismissive. I didn't see it. I, I'm I don't like. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying not to say anything that I don't know for a fact. I've seen the wing scene. Oh God! I have. I have not. I think the only one I've seen is the jungle book which probably is the closest analog to this yeah and not just because so uh like the jungle book this is directed by john favreau um jay he, he is swingers fame 
He's an um, ultimate fighting champion on Friends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gradient PCU. Remember that movie? What about Chef? <laughs> well, that was recent. Oh, yeah, I guess. Um, but so, uh, uh, so directed by him and like the Jungle Very Bob. bad things. <laughs> yep, yep. Sorry. Uh, that, that was not directed by him, but he's in it. That was directed by the Friday Night Lights movie guy, whose name I can't remember now. Mm. Fuck me. Oh, Peter Berg? Yes, yes. Battleship, mm. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of the Battleship. Uh, Battleship the movie, right? He directed very bad things, I think. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. W- what is there to say about this movie? Um, okay, so so like uh, uh, The Jungle Book, this is directed by John Favreau. And they, uh, in case you couldn't get it from the trailers, their idea here, it was... I I think you can compare this to like the Gus Van Sant Psycho. It's almost more of a weird experiment than it is a movie. With they, less masturbation scenes. <laughs> yeah. Um, they decided that they're going to do the live action remake of The Lion King. And the big creative decision was, what if we use photo real computer animation? All the lions, all the animals... All uh, of the, the world of the movie, the African, uh, uh, the jungle, the deserts, everything. We make it look as realistic as possible. We have the animals only move in ways that animals actually can. We do everything in our power to make our version of The Lion King look exactly like a Disney nature documentary. Mm-hmm. That was the pitch. And they succeeded. But the problem is, why the fuck would you do that? Yeah, I mean... Any, like, I'm usually very good about suspending disbelief, Mm -hmm. but I just couldn't do it with this movie. Like, even beginning with the circle of life, because the animals are so real, you're like, why are they here? Like, why are zebras saluting to the new quote-unquote Lion (laughs) King? They're predators. In a later scene, Mufasa even talks to Simba about how, like, they eat the gazelle or the antelope, and then, like, uh, and then, like, the antelope eats them when they die, like, through grass or whatever. But, like, so you... That was in the original. No, I know. I know, but, like, the idea of, like, you... The movie itself acknowledges this is not like vegetarian lions or anything like that. They live in a world where lions do eat antelopes, yet antelopes Mm -hmm. show up to be closer to the lions to celebrate the birth of another lion that's going to kill them. It is horrifying, (laughs) and I I couldn't help but here. We talked about this last night, and I I don't have an answer for it. Um, uh, We talked about the idea that throughout this movie, I couldn't help but think about the weird politics of this right. monarch, yeah, this same. horrifying monarchy <laughs> in this world. I couldn't help but think about how much of an asshole Simba is. Right. I couldn't help but think about all these things, and I never thought about those in the original Lion King or in the musical. However, I have not seen either of those in full since I was 12. Mm-hmm. So... um I mean, yeah, I saw saw the Broadway show probably a year after it opened, so I would have been uh, 11. Um, I, this was, I was more of a Beauty and the Beast guy. I didn't rewatch this one a ton. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I rewatched it. I lo- loved the soundtrack. Um, I remember listening to that on the way to summer camp all the time. But I didn't think about, like, the, you know, aside from stupid uh, 
dumb sketches, like lazy, like comedy sketches about like what you what is the antelopes in the Lion King want to show up? Mad TV. Um, <laughs> uh, like other than that, like there are plot holes that you can pick at. But you get over it in the animated movie. You don't right. care because you're invested in the emotion. Well, that's my question. Do we not? Did we not care because we were invested in the emotions, which is nigh impossible with the method they went for in this movie? Or is it just that we were children? Well, I think it is just. I think. I mean, part of it probably is because we were children. I have not seen Lion King since when it came out on DVD, and I bought the DVD and I saw it, and that was. <laughs> A long time ago, I'm sure. Uh, but, yeah, I think, like, when it's a cartoon, you just give it a lot more free reign to do whatever it wants. And it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. With here, because the whole point of this movie, if there is one, is to show how photoreal things can be. And it's Disney showing you, oh, my God, look, you are in the savannah. Like, you are right there. This is real. This is real. Can you see how the hair looks? (laughs) Or, like, can you see, like, this amazing, like, fleck of dust, like gliding in the wind can you see the water drops can you see how realistic the grass is and it's like it's all in your face and it's great and to be honest the parts of the movie i enjoyed the most were the parts (laughs) where there was no dialogue whatsoever and it turned into adventure of the fur shit yeah the oh yeah there's a fur that ends up in a shit being eaten by a deer let's get back that let's start uh, let's like but i guess like and then get to like a description of the major differences yeah but i guess like what i wanted to say is that like it's super hard to ign- like to ignore the fact that it's real when the movie is very trying very hard to tell you that it all is real. Yeah, I don't know if my issue was uh, as much the quote unquote real of it. And I remember when they first announced this, and they said it was live action. They were like live action Lion King, and it was like. No, it's not. <laughs> There's literally not a moment of, uh, according to the press materials, not an, a moment that isn't computer animated in the movie. Um, but uh, to yet, me... Yet, it kind of looks like, and I think I told you that yesterday, it kind of looks like a very high-res, high-quality <laughs> version of like putting peanut butter on the lips of a horse yeah. in the 50s and making them talk. So, sorry. Yeah. That's it. It just it looks like that anytime an animal talks. Yeah, so that is um that's I think more than like these are real animals so I can't get over the social structure. <laughs> um to me it's the emotions that like so they decided that the animals would only be able to do what animals can do. You know, to an extent, they all talk, obviously, and mm. uh have uh, socio-political fights over the um passing of power. But uh, the transition of power. But like, for example, I got I got to the movie a little late due to subway problems, so I missed Circle of Life. Maybe that tied the whole thing together. Maybe it made it all great. <laughs> it I did don't not. know. I have to admit I missed it. So I got in during the next scene, which, um, if you remember, is Scar. Uh, <laughs> well, you might not remember it as Scar monologuing to a mouse he's trying to eat. Because in the original movie, and I watched that scene today on YouTube, uh, this whole scene is two minutes. The conversation between Scar and the mouse, Scar and Zazu, and Scar and Mufasa. In the new version, I'm going to guess it's 43 hours. <laughs> um, everything. This is word for word. 
it is basically like a cover version of a song you like only with 10 seconds added between every lyric. It's it's 40 minutes longer than the original and it feels it. It's so fucking slow. But um but so so I came in during this and Zazu appears. And Zazu is a bird. I've the hornbilled whatever the fuck. I don't care. I think it's a uh, what do they call him? They call him Dodo in the movie. I think he's I believe there was a pejorative. I don't think he's actually a Dodo. Okay. Oh man, I fell for it. <laughs> well, it does he's a hornbilled something. Bird fans, uh sorry Aviary, whatever. Um, Aviary Club? <laughs> yeah. Aviary Club. Uh, but no, uh, um, so he, the bird comes out, and whatever bird Zazu was designed to be in the original Please, movie. Please, let's keep discussing the, what well, bird what, what is. I, what, whatever he is can't has eyes on the sides of his head and not in the front. So, unlike the original animated version, he can't have conversations with people. He has to constantly be turning his head back and forth. And also... Beaks don't have fucking lips, so he can't have any emotion whatsoever. So John Oliver has replaced Rowan Atkinson, and John Oliver's like, Oh, I'm John Oliver! Carol from Accounting! Whoa! Um, John Oliver, John Oliver, John Oliver! And um, the bird's just fucking turning its head back and forth, looking like nothing. There's no way, like, I do not have an emotional attachment to this bird. And the lions are no better. But that was the first scene I saw, and the moment that bird started talking, it was just like, fuck. This sucks. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, I mean, basically any emotional moment that hinges on an expression of a character <laughs> falls entirely flat. I mean, I guess we can talk about can you feel the love tonight during the daytime? Yeah. This... <laughs> and, and so it's supposed to be about these like two characters falling in love. But other than the fact that I just couldn't, it couldn't escape my mind that these are lions singing to each other and it was hella weird. It also, like, they their faces don't express the emotion that their characters are singing about. It's all about, you know, like, us falling in love for the first time, but... It's literally like a dead-eyed lion looking at another dead-eyed lion <laughs> and singing, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? And it's so strange. And let's return to the... you may, Listeners, you may have picked up on what Veronica said about daytime. Yes, Can You Feel the Love Tonight is, for some reason, set during the day. I, I genuinely want to have a conversation about why that could possibly be the case. Uh, but let's, well, yeah, because I think like the theory you brought up uh, let's, let's get to it. In a, let's get to a second. Just, uh, oh, yeah, I just read that, like, yeah, there was one moment where I thought I had an emotional connection, and it was Mufasa's death. Mm-hmm. And Mufa- uh, Simba the cub is walking up to his father. And by the way, so it, the, all the colors are boring because it's just the real world. Um, so I could barely tell that that was Mufasa's corpse, unlike the but movie. But we got a fun discoloration oh, yeah. at the movie It's not the movie's fault, saw. but the theater we saw it was fucked up. Uh, we had a big purple streak going through the screen. And honestly, it was the only color in the movie, and I appreciated it. <laughs> um, but so, like, uh, so the little, you know, the child actor who plays young Simba is like, Dad, Dad! And they're shot in wide shot, and they're kind of just almost silhouettes against, like, the dust and the sun. And I was like, and you're just hearing the voice of a child screaming for his dead father. And like, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm emotionally back into this. And then 
he turns around, and I swear, they realize how bad the talking is. When you watch this movie, uh, nearly every character cheats away from camera when talking. <laughs> it's insane. Like, and watch all the trailers. They've hid the talking as much as possible, because it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the moment Simba turns towards camera, I was instantly back out. And it's crazy, because, like, we've all seen fucking uh, Facebook posts about, like, this dog is sad that this cat died or like something right. like, you know, about any, any kind of animal. Like uh, if you have any Facebook Air friends Bud who are fucking. loses the basketball championship. <laughs> or like if you have any like fucking like Facebook friends who are vegans, they probably at some point post a picture of like a sad chicken um, <laughs> and you feel emotions for that chicken. Somehow those still photos on Facebook of like an animal looking sad, I felt more emotion than these created creatures that they could do anything for. But anyway, let's let's uh let's talk about differences. Uh yeah, so I think you should take over because I did not rewatch this. I mean, as you said, they have basically interludes between many <laughs> scenes that are just there to showcase their amazing animation skills. Which, as I said earlier, I enjoyed more than the plot. So <laughs> that was definitely different. Yep. What was the thing that jumped at you as a big difference from rewatching? Well, uh, think about like any time. If, if remember the original movie, any time a character goes anywhere, we watch them travel in exhaustive detail. If um, the original Lion King is the later seasons of Game of Thrones, this is the early seasons (laughs) where it spends a season watching Simba walk from rock to rock. Um, But no, it is, everything is so slow and they've just, all the lines from the original script are there. They've just like added 20 more to every scene. No new information, just more dialogue. Right. Um, uh, be prepared is different. Oh, I know that. Be prepared that. is. This is That's the song I noticed the most. So be prepared is spoke song like fucking Rex Harrison. Um, uh, so this is a uh, Chewy doll. Chewatella uh, uh, oh. Geoffrey. God damn it. He's great. I gotta say, in terms of voice performances, he was the one that I got distracted with the least. Yeah. Although I mean. It's, so unlike Jeremy Irons, he's playing Scar as just like a real dude who's just a real evil dude, which is, you know, like everything, it's fine. He gives a good performance, but like everything, it's a lot less fun. It's a lot, like, it's like no one realized this is a big Broadway musical. <laughs> like in a big, silly musical, do you want the like real serious, like, dude who's plotting to kill his brother? Or do you want this guy who's planning to kill his brother? <laughs> well, it's hard to mustache twirl when you don't have opposable <laughs> thumbs. Um, but uh, yeah, so be prepared is spoke sung. And they've also, so they've eliminated all of like the, uh, in the original musical of Be Prepared, uh, they have a bunch of like um, Triumph of the Will shots where the hyenas become uh, Nazis. And, they and it's legit scary. Yeah. I they, would say the also, animation on that is scary. They also have a bunch of like green clouds and it's green and it's spooky. They don't do any of that here, partially because it would go against their chosen aesthetic where nothing could ever look unreal. So like every other scene, it's just a fucking place in Africa where some animals are hanging out, kind of looking at each other. <laughs> um, and so instead of like singing it, the whole song is like, um, uh, our teeth and ambitions are bared. 
Be prepared. <laughs> uh, and it's been changed. The lyrics have been tweaked slightly. Uh, and now it's more a weird uh, campaign speech. Um, I'd love to say that it's like inspired by Trump rallies or any kind of like any reason for this to exist. But no, it's just like a vague election type thing. Like he's at one point says it's time for a new kind. It's time for a new kind of uh, it's time for a change. Something. I mean, he also says, let's make Africa great again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, does he really? <laughs> no. For all I know, he fucking may. I don't know. But um, but so he just speaks it. You know what I learned? Um, that song was originally uh, different in the original uh, original show. And there was originally a, a couple of reprises of it in the movie. And mm. one of them was him singing it to Nala. Uh, him singing it to Nala to try to persuade her to be his queen. Oh, so it's like the Jafar song. Yes, and then he banishes her, and they cut it because it was too dark, Mm. um, and just kept uh, kept the original version. But so uh, that is so he banishes her in the original movie, the original cut. They never animated it, but they're like you you can find storyboards. And uh, (laughs) the funny thing is, uh, so if you ever watched the original movie, and we're like, hey. What's Nala doing in the jungle to find Simba? Uh, They had a cut scene in the original movie that explained that she was banished. But guess what? You probably never wondered that because who the fuck cares? She tells Simba she was looking for help. That's all we need to know. But this movie decides we also we need to solve that plot point so one of the major new scenes is like a fucking stealth level from a video game where we follow Nala sneaking around caves for what felt like an hour, hiding from Scar as she escapes the Pride Land. Well, it seems like they really, since they got Beyonce to be the voice, they really wanted to beef up the role. But she doesn't speak in the entire scene. Well, I mean, they, she has Beyonce vibes, and that's all that matters. Well, it, that seems actually like a, um, a good example of Another problem with the art style is that, okay, so that scene comes right after a conversation, which is a similar version as in the original, uh, between Scar and Sarabe. Uh, Sarabe is, you know, Simba's uh, uh, mother and Mufasa's widow. And um, they talk and we get like the, the, you know, 411 on how shitty everything is under Scar's rule. (laughs) And then we cut to night and it's Nala sneaking out. But the thing is, all we see is a female lion walk out. And we just watched a two-minute scene with Scar and Sarabe. So context- contextually, we just assume it's her. And only because I've seen the original movie do I know, oh, that I guess that's Nala. Mm-hmm. Because they're just lions. So there's literally nothing physically, visually different between any of the female lions. Oh, man. Man, that's a hot take, John. <laughs> I, if there, there are probably some zoo experts that can tell me how Sarabi and Nala no, I definitely have very agree. specific marking differences. Yeah, I think you are correct. I mean, maybe we didn't focus that much, but also like Simba looks very much like Mufasa, mm-hmm. and I mean, yeah, we can distinguish Scar. So I guess, but yeah, like all the hyenas look the same until they start talking. I can't. I couldn't really tell which yeah. one was. Keegan Michael Key and which one was Eric Andre? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so, oh yeah. I, I, so that is another big difference for 
one of the other major differences, which again is not really a difference because it never comes up really. Uh, so in the original movie, there were three hy- three main hyenas, uh, Shenzi, some- something, and Ed. Um, and it was, I think, uh, Cheech, Whoopi Goldberg, Cheech Marin, Whoopi Goldberg, and like the director played Ed, and Ed was just the dum dum who went. <laughs> uh, and the other two bickered. Fun dynamic. In this one, for some reason. Ed and the other male one are Eric Andre and Kiko Michael Key, and they're still bumbling, but they've got like a weird dynamic where one of them likes doesn't like physical touch or something. I don't know. I mean, know. it's barely a joke. <laughs> like, but Shenzi, the Whoopi Goldberg in the original, I don't know who voiced it in this one. They uh, bumped her up now, uh, but not. Her only- name is Florence Kasumba. And she was in Black Panther, and in uh, she played Ao, and also in Infinity War. I'm oh, not... Ao is she like the head of the the Royal Guard? Is uh, that who that is? Perhaps I do not remember. Um. Well, anyway, so <laughs> Shenzi is made queen of the hyenas. This is irrelevant. There's no reason for this to be in the movie. It doesn't change anything. It's just like. A change and so I was trying to figure out why it's like did they want another a, another big female character but the character doesn't get any more time she's just not funny anymore <laughs> which makes the character less cool like when she was Whoopi Goldberg she had fun lines and she had a fun dynamic and like they were a fun trio but now the other two are fun and she just sucks and then at one point like they almost set up that she has a weird rivalry with Nala for one line uh, and then it doesn't go anywhere we don't really see what happens or maybe we do I couldn't tell because all the animals look alike (laughs) yeah I don't know there seem to I mean I don't know how much of there is in the original but it really like when they were trying to have that moment of Nala fighting (laughs) Shenzi is that the hyena name. I'm d- uh, pretty sure. I know Ed. <laughs> I know and, one's name uh, Ed. Hold on, I'm gonna look it up. Uh, yeah, Shenzi. Uh, th- it was like it was supposed to be like, oh my god, they finally like met their match, and this is gonna be the one you've been looking for. <laughs> but is it? I don't know. I mean, I guess because they they kind of set it up by saying that you know because Simba and Nala wandered into their hideout when they were young that this is payback for that time but that <laughs> seems insane it's insane and it's it's so weird so if you are saying if if the only reason they did this was to have another big female character again she doesn't get any more lines her status is just improved so it'd be like if you were updating like scooby-doo and you're like we need a stronger female character so instead of making daphne do more you're just like oh you know daphne she's the mayor and you (laughs) didn't change anything else it's like who cares (laughs) i would watch that scooby-doo uh what do you what did you think do you have anything positive to say about timon and pumbaa uh timon and pumbaa are uh uh billy eichner and uh seth (laughs) seth rogan and um uh we're, we're being arrested. 
sirens. Oh could, no! They coming to, to get us. Oh no! It's the jungle police. <laughs> it's the jungle police. It's the animal kingdom police <laughs> for, here for too. dissing the king, Simba. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, Timon and Pumbaa, Billy Eichner, and Seth uh, Seth Rogen, uh, and they they their banter is now much more meta. So they yes. make. I I don't think they have that much in the original, but it's also it's like I rewatched Hakuna Matata. They're genuinely very funny yeah. in Hakuna Matata, and they do get. I mean, the audience laugh. The only time I heard the audience react in any way was to a couple of jokes that Timon and Pumbaa said. Yeah, uh, they were silent, and we were in a packed house. They were just silent throughout the rest. I like of it. that Timon was sassy. I I kind of I I don't remember Timon being that sassy, but I kind of like that like Billy Eichner brought that out yeah. of him. It was kind of fun. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, I I I mean, I guess they're fine singers, but I don't know. Like, Billy Eichner was a, a I fine guess the, the, the vocal quality is not great. Yeah, do you, like I think we talked about it yesterday too about how like why do they. St- still have the voice actors sing like they don't have to do yeah, that they don't yeah anyone can just sing the songs they used to do that i mean in aladdin or whatever i was reading um the original be prepared uh, uh obviously that's jeremy irons for most of it however apparently the third the third verse the final verse where it goes a little higher you know all that um i tried to do it and realized uh, i have no, i can't sing <laughs> so why am i trying to do it um but uh like he had apparently strained his voice during the uh, recordings so they just had another guy sing the hard verse and have you ever noticed no guess what song sounds great um <laughs> why it's this is you know what this is actually very similar to the tom hooper les Rob, where they're like we did all the music live and it's like cool why? Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> what does that improve? You're a movie. You can do other things. You've animated this world. You can make them emote. You are the gods of this computer animated world. But yeah, so like, yeah, why? Yeah, it's like these odd restrictions that they put upon themselves only to then say that they had those restrictions on and like want to yeah. be like want to be admired for that yeah it's very weird which makes it like gus van sant psycho yeah it is like yeah it's almost like a dog me experiment (laughs) like yeah like okay everything must be computer animated and look insanely real but no facial expression should ever cross the face of the animal (laughs) in an alternate universe lars van trier Trier was raised in america and directed this Uh, Um, i would love to see a dogme version of lion king (laughs) but it's uh uh, but yeah so the songs it's like yeah they don't a lot of them don't sound great because we have a lot of like non-singers doing it and it's just like why why do that? Yeah, I don't know. What did you think of the new Beyonce tune? I immediately forgot it. I did it's, not realize it was a whole song. It's, yeah, I mean, it's just there so they can try to get an Oscar nomination. So they do that. They do the laziest version. I mean, this is something that musicals have always done when being adapted for film. True. They add a song purely so because you have to, the Oscar is not for best song, it's best original song. So they have to have a new song. Um, and some of the great songs of musicals were created for the movies. Suddenly Seymour for Little Shop of Horrors, only written 
for the movie, or at least not in the original production. Also, Ladies' Choice by, uh, and I think maybe this time is also a cabaret original. Oh. Ladies' Choice from Hairspray, which is my favorite Hairspray song, uh-huh. is also made for the. I guess it was made for the musical, maybe actually, but not in the original. No. Well, the original movie is not a musical. Right. No, I think that. No, I think they actually wrote it for the 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 movie. So that was another good one. But yeah, like maybe this time was for the movie and it's great. But like, so yeah, sometimes like, sometimes great songs have been written for for the movies. You know, they've had a few years of the musical on stage or and, and they realize, oh, we're missing a song here or they're adapting it to a new medium and they want to do take an idea that they couldn't fit in the musical. This version is the laziest version of that. During a scene where Simba's running across the desert, they just play a Beyonce song. Yeah. It's it's not Nala singing. It's just a Beyonce song. Yeah. And she doesn't, she not ever says, okay, Lions, let's get information, <laughs> which would have been wonderful. Oh, God. That, that's more of a Timon line. <laughs> That's true. They do. Yeah. I gotta say, Timon was the most expressive because they somehow managed to s- animate his whole body as he like reacts to things. So I could more readily tell when he was sad or excited or anything. Yeah. Well, meerkats have a more human-like body with basically with their little paws that look like hands. That's true, and they have these big expressive eyes. Um. But God, I, yeah. I was. Uh. It's what? Okay. What? What other changes do they make? In this fucking thing. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Um, uh, everything's longer. Like, another example. I, I mean, it just... That... After the initial shock of this is so terrible to watch, I hate... I can't connect to any of these characters. I really don't like this. After that wears off and your mind just kind of, you know, goes on rest like a computer that's <laughs> been, not been fully turned off. Like, and you're just sitting there for the eight hours that this movie is. The one thing you just keep noticing is how slow it is. So, mm-hmm. for example, in the original, there's a fun little joke where uh, Timon and Pumbaa are singing uh, The Lion Sleeps Tonight and then Nala attacks them. In that movie, I'm going to guess that that sequence is 10 seconds long. In this movie, it's a full fucking number with a bunch of side characters we haven't really met who all jump up to sing a rendition of this song. Yeah, it's, it's a music going. video with all the animals and each animal provides a different kind of percussion or like a musical <laughs> phrase and they keep repeating it. I mean, as I said, as someone who enjoyed those things the most, I was like, yeah, that's kind of cute. Oh. Does it need to be in this movie? I don't know. We got to talk about the shit fur. The shit fur. Okay. I mean, that was so... This was, like, watching this got me doubting the concept of time. Because <laughs> I, 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 at first I was like, oh, okay. Hold on. We're still on this. Oh, no. Here, we, it keeps going. We still, we follow the journey of this little piece of lint. Earlier this year, we saw the movie Climax. (laughs) (laughs) And that movie is about a very bad drug trip. And uh, Gaspar, I'm not French, Noé? Gaspar Noé. Purposefully does tons of tricks to make you unsure of the pacing of the movie and unsure how much time you've spent. So you, like the characters, don't know when it's going to end. (laughs) 
that is very similar to this scene in which we have to, we can't just hear about the circle of life both in song and word we have to see it be demonstrated <laughs> in scientific detail up to and including uh, uh shit <laughs> yeah so an antelope or a deer of some kind a, eats, a giraffe a, oh oh is it a giraffe it's so this is after uh, uh timon and pumbaa really fucking shit all over simba's <laughs> uh, circle of life theories that he got from his dad and simba's all were, sad by the way were they this nihilistic in the cartoon because they like kept repeating the whole thing about like a long line into the ground or something no, like that. that that wasn't in the movie i think it was i think that whole thing was only there to set up this sequence mm-hmm. and i'm pretty sure this sequence which takes place over a day is the reason why can you feel the love tonight has to be during the daytime because simba can't meet nala that night it has to be another day um uh so yeah it's so, and also they just, everyone just repeats everything like four times in this movie. So instead of like in the original, yeah, to, they talk about like the stars and there's that funny joke where uh, Timon's like, "Oh, they're fireflies," and Pumbaa's like, "I think they're gas burning in the sky," and they're like, "You're an idiot." And then Simba's like, "Oh, I'm Matthew Broderick, and I think they're what is this Matthew Broderick voice?" This is one thing I noticed uh, rewatching the original. I killed a woman in the eighties. Wow. Uh, Go straight there. It's true. I I recently watched him in Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee, and I was like, this is not appropriate. (laughs) Do you think he thought... I don't know. Um, What do I think? Do you think he thought about that when agreeing to do the show? I don't know, but he agreed to do that car commercial in the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, car commercial. So, yeah, so I guess what happened is that he was dating Jennifer Grey on the sly. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were vacationing in Scotland, and he got, I guess, very drunk and uh, was driving a car at night and veered right into this car of a family. And I think, like, the mother and the daughter died. And he later claimed that he didn't remember the whole day. He was like, I remember the previous morning, and I remember waking up in the hospital. And he was supposed to be tried for manslaughter, Eventually, all he, he like got a reduced charge and had to pay like 125 pounds. <laughs> it's like a very comic sort of non-execution of justice. And I think the family is still angry at him. Anyway, this, this is our was Lion King <laughs> podcast. Well, so far in the Lion King podcast, I just want to say we mentioned Lars von Trier, <laughs> Gaspar Noé, and Matthew Broderick. <laughs> Matthew Broderick is connected. Running over... I- I would say he probably, to answer my own question, he probably did not think about it because probably to move on with his life, he's had to almost purposefully forget it in his own mind. I imagine some For sure. some amount of, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure OJ thinks he's not guilty. Yep. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> well, so in um, in the original, they do talk about like uh, the, like Sim was like, oh, my dad once, or someone once said that those are old kings looking down on us. And Timon and Pumbaa are like, fuck you, idiot. That's stupid. <laughs> uh, but, but in this one, we also have to have another conversation where he's like, I heard there's a circle of life. And they're like, fuck you, idiot. No, we are, <laughs> we are French nihilists now. We are very specifically atheist in this movie. Um, Which is, you know what? In these times, it's kind of refreshing for a movie to have a secular outlook. <laughs> but then at the, but the movie also, I mean, this 
This makes the weird religious stuff a little weird. Like, I never bothered me that, like, yeah, it's like a metaphor that Mufasa comes down as a ghost. He's not really a ghost. But this one, it feels like, oh, yeah, no, there's supernatural shit going on. Mufasa's God up there in heaven. And the monarchy's good. And even Timon and Pumbaa admit by the end that uh, the whole jungle will live better under the rule of the that the the holy bloodline of Mufasa's oh, son. God. Yeah, the hierarchy is so confusing to me, and it's such a weird thing to <laughs> concentrate on with this movie. Uh, well, oh, did we have we? Yeah, so we. So yeah, the. Did we actually say what the ship first he wants? Oh, yeah. So, anyway, the slint so flo- yeah. has sti- is still after floating they- around. As we're talking, this is in real time. The slint yes. is still floating around, all around the safari. It ends up in the food of a giraffe. A giraffe. And then uh, a day later, I suppose, instead of singing Can You Feel the Love Tonight, <laughs> uh, the a- giraffe poops out. Uh a thing which I at first I, you just you don't see it poop it out you just yeah. see like a, we see a, a dung beetle later with the way dung beetles roll up poop yeah only and it's very noticeably got the tuft of Simba's fur still stuck yeah, on it yeah and I was like oh my god and I lean over to you and I was like is, is this is poop <laughs> yep. And then, then the poop rolls away, and then other bugs pick, and it breaks, and other big bugs pick up the poop and carry it, and then Rafiki sees the poop and sees the fur, and that's how he knows Simba's alive. And there's some version of this scene in the original, I don't remember, but it's at most 10 seconds long. <laughs> but this, it honestly, like, this, we watch this fur drifting through the sky. It is as if uh, uh, one day John Favreau came in and was like, guys, I can't direct today, but you know who's going to direct this sequence? It's the kid from American Beauty, <laughs> and he's just going to tape fur Floating in the wind for eight hours. Actually, guys, the kid from American Beauty was unavailable. It's going to be played by the kid from the parody, not another teen movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, God. Laughs. Uh, anyway, I think we've said most of the things we can't say about Lion King. But you know what movie I would love to talk to you about, Oh, we got to read it. We got to re- oh, read okay. it. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yes. Okay. John, yes. what... what, what Great, would you? I mean, it's, I almost give. do want it to be like a separate technical grade. Like after, the technical is so amazing. Like after this movie, in a couple years, we'll never use animal actors ever again. There's no reason to ever use them. Uh, this tech is this incredible. That being said, I'm gonna give the movie a D. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm probably in, in the D territory as well. Maybe D minus. <laughs> I really don't like it. Is uh, what is currently? I, I I shouldn't know this. What is currently your least favorite movie that we've seen for this podcast? Uh, maybe Star Wars: Phantom Menace. Mm. Uh, or maybe uh, let's say New Night movie. School. No, Night- right. I think Night School, and I think for you, your least favorite was recently. It was Men in Black International. Yeah, Men in Black International. So I where... was not... This movie, was, I was bored. I wasn't as angry. So this, I mean, the difference between this and that, that movie has no reason to exist. This movie has a very clear idea, and they succeed in that idea. It's just a bad idea. But it's like a weird thing where it's like, you did what you set out to do, and you did it really well. It's just, <laughs> yeah. It's just, so it's just, but like so. This movie didn't make me angry on the level, and maybe because I had 
two years ever since they announced this of being angry about it. Yeah, I felt like less of like a sense of desperation getting me out of here watching this movie than I did Men in Black or Night School. Yeah. Like, I was, with Men in Black, I was actively angry anytime a new scene was starting. And we the almost credits left during Lord. Men in Black. Yeah, I, uh, I think we probably would have left if we didn't have to do this for you, dear oh, listener. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and we are two people who chose to go see Holmes and Watson. Oh, my God. And that wasn't like, even for this podcast. We just did it. Yeah, I thought we, I mean, I think the reasoning was like, it can't be that bad. Well, I said it, I think as a joke, that it would be funny if to celebrate New Year's on the January 1st, we went to see Holmes and Watson. Someone said it as a joke. Yeah, and, and it then, happened. And then we did it. L- look at us living our best life. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so <laughs> that was Lion King, dear listener. Uh, but... I don't know if you remember, but in a previous episode, we were really hoping to talk about a different movie <laughs> this weekend. America fucked up. America fucked up. Uh, but did Quentin Tarantino fuck up? Come back Whoa. in a second. and Whoa, we'll... that's not number one. Are we breaking form? Well, we just are talking about another movie. Yeah, fuck it. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> John, are you ready to be an outlaw? And discuss a movie that is totally against the premise of this podcast. Fuck yeah, let's fucking do it, dude. Uh, So, as we referenced earlier, and in previous podcasts, we were hoping to not have to see Lion King. (laughs) And instead, uh, watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a movie I know I was looking forward to quite a bit. I'm sure you were, too. I would say in the past year... Uh, uh, when you uh, when you text me, it is thirty percent planning this podcast, thirty percent excitement over Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then I guess just thirty percent of like an update of what Tom York wore that day. I guess <laughs> <laughs> those are all of my interests. <laughs> uh, but yes, you were very excited for this movie. I was I was very excited about this movie. Uh, are you a big Tarantino fan? Yes. He's, the T-head? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I That's guess... what his fans are called, right? T-heads? T-heads. No, we're called Toe-heads. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Because he has a foot fetish. Uh, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Does he? I, I didn't notice in this movie. <laughs> well, uh, I yeah, I think he's probably, in terms of consistency, my favorite filmmaker. Mm. I'm never disappointed in a movie he's done. Uh I guess we can spoil and say until now. <laughs> yeah, I well, I, yeah. Uh, I spoiler. You've hinted at it, but we decided yeah. when we decided to. <laughs> wow, we we lied. We lied. This was not an on the on the fly. We decided ahead of time. We oh were no, talk about the ruse is up. <laughs> but um, but I, I all I know is that you were disappointed. Um, I yes. am a Tar- Tarantino uh, fan. I mean, um, I love. Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown, and I greatly like the Kill Bill movies, most of Inglorious Bastards, and I respect every other movie he made. Hateful Eight did very little for me, I'm Mm. afraid. Um, But unlike you, I like this one. Uh, so I would I would put this on the second tier with the uh, uh, the Kill Bills and Inglorious Bastards hmm. of the world. See, my first tier includes Kill Bill and Glorious Bastards, 
Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown. Mm. I would say that's first tier. I don't think I have like more than two tiers. I think anything else is second tier. And I suppose if we're counting the writing stuff, I would count True Romance. I love in that True Romance. Too. Yeah, True Romance. I think <laughs> that was like is my great. favorite movie in high school. From Dusk Till Dawn is, I guess I like the beginning of it. I. Uh, really, I like the vampire stuff. See, I'm the always, opposite. I like the pre-vampire stuff. I find his character so repulsive. Yeah. Anytime he acts in a movie, it takes you out of it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it's yeah. It's crazy. He plays Brad Pitt in this one. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most people can't tell. That's that's Tarantino. And that's him jumping all over those rooftops. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, that's impressive. Good job. Yeah, um, he looks good for his age. Well, either I, in real life, Brad Pitt looks incredible for his age. He's fifty-five. I know. And he took off his shirt. I was like, wow. It is uh, insane <laughs> when he takes his shirt off. Uh, anyway, uh, I guess a small plot synopsis, but I don't think we should like go into it like we usually no, do. No, this will be. A- uh, yeah. So just to say that this movie focuses on a fading actor, a Rick Dalton. And his uh, his stunt double uh, slash personal assistant slash gopher slash driver uh, <laughs> Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt. Uh, Leo DiCaprio is sort of based on like a Burt Reynolds type, and he was uh, he was a famous TV star at one point. He left his successful TV show to star in movies, but he is now relegated to playing the bad guys and guest spots on westerns on TV. Uh, so anyway, his career is not going fat. Uh, no, is going nowhere fast. Uh, going to Italy. Yeah, until uh, uh, Al Pacino suggests that he does a version of uh, a, a like spaghetti westerns with a version of Sergio Leone. I forget what the name they give them. Sergio something. The second best filmmaker in Italy is what they say. The second best director of uh, uh, also, like, spaghetti westerns. Also, like, once they actually... I mean, there are a bunch of stuff to like about this movie. I'm not, like... Even, like, a Tarantino movie I didn't really like. It hey, was you, like you know what? You saying we're, we're not going to do a synopsis. I don't think we're going to do a synopsis. Let's just spoil the ending. I, I don't... So, I, yeah. We can't have an honest conversation about this without spoiling the right. ending. And if we hint about it, anyone with half a brain is going to figure out how this movie ends. Yeah, I'm not going to hint, but I'm just going to say, so as he his career going nowhere, he lives right next door to the it couple of the time, Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate, and he bemoans his fate and how... While they are so successful, you know, his career is done and he might, like, go back to Alabama or Missouri or wherever he's from. Uh, and so commence two hours of movie <laughs> of, like, meditation on getting old and not being as successful as you were hoping. Uh, interspersed with light, uh, the family uh, cult member appearances. Uh and uh, we, the movie is very clearly building up to Sharon Tate dying in the hands or being murdered in the hands of four members of the family, Charles Manson's family. Instead, those kids actually end up uh, bursting into Leo DiCaprio's house, Brad Pitt and his very adorable pit bull, <laughs> uh, very brutally dispose of them. Leo DiCaprio, in a very good payoff to an earlier joke, uh, sets uh, Sadie Atkins on fire, <laughs> or the stand-in for Sadie Atkins on fire, 
And uh, the good news is that Sharon Tate can now invite him over to her house. Well, I think... (laughs) No, I mean, the... You sound like one of those fucking YouTube, uh, like, the ending of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood explained. And they're like, now, um, uh, now, Rick can have dinner with Roman Polanski and maybe get a role in his next movie. That is what this was about. Um, I mean, yes, the, it ends in this very, okay, so this is like, uh, um, uh, like Inglorious Bastards, and to a lesser extent, uh, Django Unchained. Uh, more, more Inglorious Bastards. A straight revisionist history. Uh, and that one, uh, someone who, people who didn't die in real life or didn't die in that place do die, and good people who did die don't die. Well, so it, as that is the case, mm-hmm. and that is probably my main disappointment of the movie. I feel like that doesn't track. A revenge fantasy only works if the actual person being wronged originally is the one avenging. Mm -hmm. And like Sharon Tate has very little to do in this movie. Sharon Tate is not the one that actually gains any sort of closure in front of like with the Manson family, much like the Jews did against Hitler or a slave had against like a slave owner when that that beautiful beautiful <laughs> jew brad pitt saved the day well brad pitt is not the one who kills hitler yes and he's also uh, yeah yeah and his uh character's supposed to be both jewish and native american well no i don't think he's supposed to be jewish yeah he, he is all of the inglorious bastards are jewish. no he, i don't think he is I think really? he's like Waldo the Apache. Like I don't think Aldo it doesn't matter. Oh, Alderaan. Who's Waldo the Apache? I think he. They call him Aldo the Apache. Anyway, so uh, yeah. So I don't think that tracks. So I don't think. I think that's my problem with the ending. I don't think any version of it leads to a satisfying ending to the movie we saw the previous two hours. I really disagree. Okay. Um, because I don't. This isn't a, really a revenge movie. It's not about Sharon Tate. Um, uh, it's a it's a wistful. To, this is this is why like the revenge, like watching a bunch of Jews kill Hitler. It's like fine, yeah, okay, cool. Um, you know, like it's. I guess there, there's certainly fun to that. Look, I've played the Wolfenstein games. They're fun. Sure. I, I shot a bunch <laughs> of digital Hitlers in my day. It's great. Um, but. This is more than that. To me, this is a this is you know very much about what if you know it's all about generations changing and good times you know coming to an end. And we follow uh, we follow a character who is who it, characters who are past their prime and who were f- very much like this is our second movie about fifties cowboys who refuse to accept that their time play acting are done right after Toy Story four. Um, so much better, but like Woody. <laughs> <laughs> like Woody, um, uh, Rick refuses to accept that his time might be done and just accept the Italian deal, which is, you know, a different phase in his career, but could be re- very good and exciting and grow up and, and meet a wife and all, all that kind of things. He just refuses to do it. He refused to move on. And we also follow a character who we know from history is about to die. And she's living her life and everything's going great. Uh, and we know she's about to die. And we know her friends are about to die. Um, we also see Bruce Lee, who we know, you know, not that long after this, is going to die. And we're also following just this fun kind of 60s hippies atmosphere, which we know, according to Joan Didion or uh, all sorts of people, 
that it's going to die. And according, you know, Joan Didion is one of the people who said that um, that the death of Sharon Tate was the death of the '60s. You know, other people said this right. in the murder at Altamont. But and so this movie ends with this fantasy of, but what? What if that? What if not? What if the good times didn't end? What but if... what does that mean? That's the thing. What does that mean in the context of this movie? What are the good times that are going to keep going? Also, I would... Maybe this is because I might know more about the case. Sharon Tate was not a happy person. Sharon Tate was not even like... The metaphor of Sharon Tate as a as a sort of... As an opposite of Rick uh, Dalton does not work at all. Which is why I think it's fine that, like, you know, uh, we can get into the whole, the, the was it Can uh, the Can controversy, and then the Jezebel review talking about her lack of dialogue. Yeah, I don't mind her lack of dialogue. She is there as a symbol. Mm-hmm. But I think at, she, I don't think she is there to symbolize, I like, I don't think the thing that Tarantino wants her to symbolize, she does in a good way. Well, she symbolize to me, she symbolizes promise. She or, And she symbolizes... A terror, a, a terrible future looming, and right. But what is? I guess like that's well, so, the thing. Like, what is? How does she contrast with Rick Dalton? Like, me, other than her being young and his neighbor, that time is up. Like, but we, the time is not up. But it is up. She's gonna die. But she's not. She doesn't well, die in this movie. That's what I'm saying. To me, the ending's very sad. Because, and that's why we like, so they quote unquote save the day. And if we wanted to be like one of those websites and be real literal about it, like, yeah, the 50s cowboy TV star saved the day. And so probably his career is going to get a boost. And maybe TV cowboys are going to come back into fashion. Well, and- that's like, I guess, another thing. Like, I can't imagine what this would be a fairy tale ending for. Well, that's so like we can have those like things about like, what if, what if, and we could go on and on. But at the end, we have that pan up and we actually, we, we, uh, uh, he makes a choice, which I at first thought was a little weird um, to it's not, we don't see uh, Sharon really at the end, except from above. Instead, the conversation after the fact with one of the um, victims it's who saved Jay Sebring. Jay yeah. Sebring. Um, but then we come up and we just see her, hear her voice, her pleasant voice, and we see her come out clearly very pregnant. And I think the choice was, had we seen her that pregnant yet? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, they're after the the jump forward, but um, but so we zoom up and then this like kind of sad music plays, and I think it's kind of like unlike um, uh, Inglorious Bastards, that's very much like yeah, fuck Hitler. What this is great. Fuck him, dude. You're fucking dead. Fuck you. This one feels more like yeah, this would be great, but it didn't happen. The good times do end. Generations do end. This one feels like. This one feels like an uh, an aging filmmaker um, who's not that old, and if he didn't weirdly say he was going to retire at ten movies, like just admit it, you're not going to retire at ten movies, Soderbergh. You know, <laughs> we, I, I'm looking forward to all your many comebacks over the years, but um, but it feels like someone who's realizing the end of their career is closer than the beginning, um, and is sad about that. And giving a fantasy about a world where, through a twist of fate, um, careers don't end, 
and and like uh, a period of time can last forever and then also kind of acknowledges with the way the movie feels at the end that like that's stupid that's just a fairy tale that's not the way things happen Sharon Tate wasn't saved uh, a TV cowboy with a flamethrower didn't save everyone. A stunt stunt a man with a pit bull didn't save everyone. A sexy Italian wife in lingerie didn't save everyone. These people just died. Rick Dalton's career is going to end. All of our careers are going to end. And it's fun to fantasize and have a fairy tale about that not happening. But at the end, that's just what it is. It's a fantasy. I just feel like I... I, I can like I can sense I mean I got that from the movie too but I don't think that's really on the screen I think like that's what we read into it and I feel like to be honest like the whole inclusion of like the share like he could have expressed all of that without like any of the mans and stuff I feel like it uh-huh. like it felt almost so removed from the actual interesting plot of the movie which was about like the relationship of these two guys and like how they're facing the end of their careers that like you kind of like when you include something like this explosive is like yeah like one of the biggest crimes of the century mm-hmm. like you better have something interesting to say about it and not just like included for the sense of shock. Like, remember when they wanted to release it on the anniversary? Like, that was yeah. part of their marketing. Well, campaign. I don't, I don't like, think it's. He uses Sharon Tate literally as just bait to, because you know that you, as a viewer, your bloodlust is going to get all excited about, oh, the thing that, that is yet to come. I like I had like a thought in my mind that he might not kill her, but I, it was definitely not something that I like immediately guessed. But like especially like towards the end when it's like, oh, this is what they did the night of. They went to like the El Coyote and then they went back and then they changed clothes and then like all this stuff. And it's like, see, like it's teasing you. It's teasing you with like, when is it going to happen? When is this poor woman going to die? And then like. He doesn't do it, which is fine. I did not want him to, like, murder... I was, like, very concerned either way about how he's going to deal with it. But, like, what ended up happening, it just, like... I don't know. Just, like, I I mean, maybe disrespectful is the wrong word. I don't think it's necessarily disrespectful. It was just, like, meaningless. It's like you drag out this event in history to say that cowboys age mm-hmm. and like actors don't have their careers forever. I don't know. It just it felt kind of I was v- very confused leaving the movie theater as to like how like why any of that was part of the movie. Yeah, I mean, so we we uh, uh, not on this podcast cuz we also watch movies we want to see that aren't number 1 in America. Right. Uh, we we've had long conversations about uh Midsummer or Midsommar. Midsommar. And um, I, you know, while for the most part am positive about that movie, um, as at the end of the movie, I've, I w- was at first very nonplussed thinking back about the way that movie opens. And we're not talking about the movie, so I won't really spoil it. But there is a horrible tragedy at the beginning of that movie that I felt we, I, we both know too much and too little about it. Like, basically... Ari Aster throws up this very loaded thing that happens and um, just and it, it ends up being irrelevant. He just needed any tragedy 
and the movie's not about that thing really at all. Uh, although I've since had arguments with people where we tried to find a way to connect it thematically. And that seems to be the way you feel about this, about this movie, that the use of this thing, uh, that being the death of these real people, um, didn't really serve the rest, didn't serve the rest of the story. Um, and I, and I'm coming at it as someone who hates true crime. I find the use of people's deaths for entertainment fairly disrespectful. It, it, not disrespectful. I just, it makes, it makes me uneasy. I don't enjoy it. Right. I've actually since started listening to, um, You Must Remember it's This. It's so good. People it's, should listen to it's it. It's good, but it's it great. also does still get into that thing you're talking about, that true crime thing about being like, and then Sharon Tate moved into the house. And you're like, oh, that's where she dies! But I um, feel like also if you actually end up listening to the episodes yeah. where she discusses the actual murder, it I think it's tr- being treated with a lot more restraint. Well, I'll get there in 40 episodes. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think but, I know what you mean. But I guess my point is, is that like anytime you use... Like such a big, or even like a historical character or historical mm-hmm. event, you use it as a shorthand for a thing, right? right? Because it symbolizes something. She's just, these deaths are are the symbol for the end of the sixties, right? But I feel like that's not what the movie is about. <laughs> but it is about that. No, the, it's about the end of an era. But it's not about the end. Like for Rig Dalton, the sixties were not special. The, okay, I okay this this I will. Um, I will, uh, there are two things that I had some problems with, uh, I, like general problems with. The, the Cliff Booth dead wife storyline mm-hmm. has no payoff other than to set up that he's a potentially violent person. He's a stuntman. He has fight training. We don't need to also have him maybe have murdered his wife for nagging too much. I don't know. That part feels weird. And any kind of reading of that storyline, I don't... I haven't come up with a reading that doesn't make me feel icky. But um, uh, I also... It does, to me, there was a kind of feeling of like, you know, Sharon Tate, generationally, it does feel closer to the hippies that... Yeah, um, Sharon Tate was 26. Yeah, that Rick Dalton hates so much. Uh, Roman Polanski was, you know ushering in new Hollywood, the type of movies Rick Dalton would not be cast in. Um, so there was a kind of thing of like, why why, why does this feel like a win? It doesn't really connect. Um, it, the saving of her doesn't feel, doesn't feel as positive for Rick Rick Dalton on this level because it doesn't help him like in his career it doesn't it doesn't save his way of Hollywood it saves a way of Hollywood that was already make driving him extinct if you like want to be literal to literal about that but I still and so there is a part of me that's like wouldn't it make more sense if he was you know because a lot of people like say like this is the death this is like the end of like the free love hippie hippie period, you know, because we saw the America saw the proof like uh, proof of like the dark underside of that. Mm-hmm. So would it make more sense if um, the other main characters were hippies, free love, you know, were part of the '60s counterculture that this moment killed? But I think I'm, and I, it's that. Maybe kind of where you're where you're going that you don't they don't I, connect I on that way. I think so. I that's the thing. I can't come up with a way. I know that sometimes we try to come up with like ways where like or solutions to improve the things that we find problematic in the movies. 
the even like movies we like i can't come up with a like i that's the thing it's like so baffling to me like that's why i think like i just can't like i couldn't stop thinking about it for like the next day of just like why why does this happen like that's the Uh thing like it feels so disconnected from the rest of the movie that it can't even be like okay well a neater way to wrap this up would be this right i I don't know like i don't know why it's part of it that's the thing i i mean i i just i just disagree because it is (laughs) every single part of this movie is hitting us in the head with the idea that for the character we're watching the thing that they love will end soon you know um, Sharon Tate will literally die. Cliff Booth uh, visits Spawn Ranch and sees George Spawn, a man in his 80s, who will die soon. Um, Cliff can't get any work. He lives alone, this sad existence. His life is going nowhere. Right. I'm, I'm with you his on that. His career How is dead. The... <laughs> it's all about all these characters are either have this, this growing sense of doom um rick feels terrified that his career is over george spawn has you know another real person has given up on life how does the murder or not murder of sharon tate affect anyone in this movie other than sharon tate herself well presumably we've already set up you know uh uh leo's character has a very clear thing when he says one of these days, like I, if I, I could be one dinner yeah, party away. Yeah, an invite away. to their pool party. I'm like, uh, gonna send me for life or whatever mm-hmm. or something like that. I, like, that's like not, I mean, I, like, it's, yeah, that's not satisfying for me. That I'm sorry. That's just not, I can't, All like, that- I can't rationalize into, I can't rationalize it for myself. To like this movie. Uh-huh. I don't think it works. I don't think it works in any way that I understand filmmaking and like symbolism. What it, I'm trying to think. What is another what is another event in real history that marks the end of an era? I don't know, 9-11. What what era does that I mean, yeah, it's certainly I mean it also I guess it also Okay, so here's, like, a weird comparison that I just came up with. Okay. So there was, like, a dot-com boom, right? In yeah. the late 90s, early 2000s, that the 9-11 was the ending for. So this would be akin to someone who's, like, a developer, the owner of the domain pets.com, and his business is about to, like, go under like we all know that this is going to be the end of the bubble because those planes are going to hit the thing and like by some sheer luck he's on a plane and he fights off the terrorists the hijackers and the airplanes don't fly into the twin towers and like what we're supposed to get out of it is like oh great pets.com continues living on like this would be like I, like I mean, well, yeah, but- this is like the most like I, I just like this is like as removed for me. Like well, it, those okay. two events in their significance of just like it's just like that is like I mean this is a very comically exaggerated version of it, but they're like as vastly removed from each other in my mind as like the events of the movie. I don't know. It's just it's like what if uh, what if there's a movie about about these characters and it's all about their feeling that. Um, 
people don't relate to each other enough anymore and somehow their story was all about is people don't people don't connect <laughs> are uh, you talking about crash because that is literally <laughs> the premise of crash well, crash is all about racism but like people don't really but it was about like there's a don Cheadle gives the speech like, uh, right. we don't connect anymore that's why we have a car accident i assuredly we do crash not remember into each other just so that we can have some human connection <laughs> Anyway. Um, but then, like, if there's something about like, like humans don't connect anymore, blah blah, and humans don't like really have friendships, and we just talk in our our AOL instant messenger, blah blah blah, and then at the end, he runs over Mark Zuckerberg in a car on his way to Harvard orientation. I guess, but I feel like I feel like it almost if it was just like a throwaway thing that they mentioned, like they mentioned like Shirhan Shirhan in the beginning of the movie, like on the radio, they talk about like the JFK Jr. Mm -hmm. assassination. Like, I feel like- JFK Jr.? RFK, sorry, RFK, that's what I meant. Uh, But yeah, so RFK dies famously like a few months, I guess like six months before Mm -hmm. Sharon Tate. Uh, Anyway, so like if, if that murder was almost reduced to that level, I think I would have been more okay with it than like the because it got so much prominence to the point where you have to like I don't know I just I like think, it just doesn't jive for me okay. I can make it work I think had the and I had this thought if they did a version of this movie where Sharon Tate is not in it. We only see her, and this is what I initially thought it was going to be when they first announced it, that we'd see her in passing, but she wouldn't actually be a character. The same, I thought it was going to be like, this movie is as much about Sharon Tate as The Masters about Scientology or something. Mm-hmm. Um, when people initially was like, that movie's going to actually be the story of Scientology. I thought, um, I th- so imagine if this movie had just been about these characters, we just know he lives next to Roman Polanski, and then we get the whole ending, and the only actual physical presence of Sharon Tate is that final shot. She comes out pregnant and says, wow, that's crazy, that happened to you. Anyway, want to come in for a drink? I would like that better. I, <laughs> I would have liked that, that better. I think that would have <laughs> felt like that movie with um, uh, the new Batman, um, Remember Me, where at the end he dies and he goes, by the way, it's 9-11, boom, plane. What? What was that? Oh, you've never heard of this? So there is a movie, Um, it's called, uh, I think, Remember Me, and it's... Oh, Remember Me. I thought you said the new Batman. Oh, oh well, you meant Robert new, Pattinson. Yeah, I couldn't yes. remember the same. I like... I, I would not, like, me having said I would like this better does not mean I would like it. Like, this is just, <laughs> I think, a better version. Well, I, I think that would have, I think that would have weirdly felt more. But also, here's the thing. So, and this is something reading about this movie on Reddit, I came to understand is that like a lot of people like especially younger people don't really know about the chair and tate stuff or mm. like who charles manson is so like i'm as not a true crime guy they kept flashing dates on and i'm like i'm sure that means something yeah no i'm not even saying that but i just mean like if you're making a movie where the whole idea is you subverting what we know uh is gonna happen or as you said, thematically to show that, like, oh, the promise of what could have been. How do you make that clear to 
most half the audience who doesn't even know what those murders were or that this person is going to die because i feel like like i feel like i don't know that he did any of the legwork for those people which I, he shouldn't need to do and i mean to me it was well, very it's also clear. really about getting old so those people wouldn't even enjoy it anyway yeah but there were a lot of people there was like a post about yeah like read about Sharon Tate before you go see this or like but it was very well meaning in terms yeah. of just like uh, you know you gotta know this history and it's true but it seems like a lot of people did not even know Sharon Tate was a real person uh, so and to be honest like if you don't know that those hippies are going to kill then the uh, ending will mean nothing yeah like yeah exactly so like that was another weird thing which I don't think he did like that much of legwork to set up how menacing the hippies were. Well, I'm, I'm and also fine I, with I'm fine with I'm, that. I'm fine with it too. And to me, it didn't matter because I did know. So, it's important. Like, like the whole movie is predicated on the sense of doom that comes from that setting. Right, but I we feel all like, know that Charlie Manson killed Don Draper's wife in the <laughs> final season of Mad Men. Of course, yes. I. Uh, I was recently, so I was going to a party and someone um, posted the Zuby Zoo clip for Mad Men. Oh, they were having so a, a housewarming and they were like, this is going to be us at our party. And then I uh, I commented saying, oh, oh, I keep hearing rumors that Charlie Manson's going to kill you guys this season. Is that true? And then I realized, you know what? Maybe not everyone who's going to this party remembers the bizarre internet madmen fan theories of 2007 right. yeah why did you not suggest that one of them is gonna be db cooper <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah so anyway i mean i didn't hate this movie and as i said i really like the stuff with dicaprio and pitt mm. i just overall did not think it came together but here's a different question I also thought this is the first Tarantino movie that didn't really feel like a Tarantino movie in terms of pacing. And, like... And How so? It just... It wasn't as... Like, it didn't have the rhythm. I, it's hard for me to explain it. But, I mean, I know Sally Menke died. Mm -hmm. But I didn't feel it as much but in... But what if she didn't? Wow. <laughs> if that would... <laughs> I'm making that movie. Oh, that's a great movie. Uh, it's going to be three hours of a different thing, and then Sally Mankey doesn't die. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so it's just like, it didn't feel like it had the rhythm. I know she didn't direct The Hateful, or it didn't edit The Hateful Eight. Uh, but when you say I it doesn't feel like that, what about the pacing? Because this is much faster paced than Hateful Eight, a movie that is basically a plot. I felt it was longer than Hateful Eight. It felt longer. Oh, I was longer watching it. wildly bored during Hateful Eight. And that, to me, was the movie where at the end I went, cool, well, we watched all of that, and then that happened at the end. All right. See, I, I liked it more. But this is not a Hateful Eight. I just think, like, the, the times where the voice, even, like, the times where the voiceover came in were mm -hmm. odd. And, like, the timing of those things were not as smooth and clean as it uh, was before. Just, like, different, like, weird, like, I feel like if someone else were editing this movie or, like, if Sally Menke was editing this movie, it would have felt differently. I mean, that's the thing. I can't really put a finger to it, but it really d felt, like, more languid. Yeah. And maybe that's intentional. I don't know. I think it's possible. But it was definitely odd. Also, 
I laughed at this movie by far the least out of like all the Tarantino movies I've seen. Even though there were like straight up jokes in this movie, uh-huh. I just like didn't find most of them funny. I think like I laughed out loud at the end when like Brad Pitt was bashing all those people in and Leo DiCaprio turning them into slasher villains. Yeah, Sadie Atkins bounces up like the mannequin from Evil Dead Two. Like that all keeps that stuff was without very a head funny. that keeps bursting through the door. Yeah, it was like it. That part was like such a weird slapstick violence. It was. That, it felt very Sam Raimi. Yeah, it was. It was fun. I did not have issue with the actual violence. Uh, but yeah, I think like other than that, there were many attempts at jokes. No one in the audience that I saw this at like laughed even once. Mm. So I don't know what your experience was or what your thoughts. I saw about it in that. a pack house at BAM on opening night, and it was a very loud. Uh, the audiences seemed to like it a lot. That's great. I um, mean that that is the part where I was like, I hope other people do receive yeah. it better because even weirdly, like I want this movie to do well. Like well, I, it did, it, I mean, forty million. Yeah, for it did really, really yeah. well. So like, I'm not. Like, there are certain movies that I don't like that I'm like, why is this making money? I hate this. And here I'm like, I'm very happy that this is making money and he gets to keep making movies. Yeah, it's But, funny. like, it wasn't for me. It's, um, I've seen, I've talked to friends who loved it, who loved it more than I did. And I've also, uh, I've seen posts from friends of ours online who really seem to hate it for very seamless. And it seems like the people who hate it. Uh, other than the people who, who've who just decided they hate Tarantino for whatever, you know, for any number of reasons, it's fair. Uh, <laughs> the foot stuff, this was the first one where the foot stuff really bothered me. It was fucking nonstop. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, so uh, it seems like a lot of people who hate it uh, for reasons that have to do with the movie itself um, hate it for similar reasons to you. They found it slow um, and they didn't think it tied together at the end. To me, unlike something like uh, like Hateful Eight, the, the, all the themes of growing doom and then this just kind of melancholy, weak-willed, what if, what if things don't come to an end, to me that did feel very evocative and I felt, uh, and I had that kind of just wistful, sad feeling that I think uh, he was going for at the end. That's good. You know, you get the fun laughs, and then it's just kind of like melancholy thing at the end. So yeah, I don't know. This one, this one worked worked for me. I don't know. Maybe maybe as a, a as a as a man who's aging with a life of regret, maybe it meant, <laughs> but, meant more to me. <laughs> well, I, I'll I'll see it again. I'm going to see it again in theaters. I'll see what I think. But I was definitely disappointed. And I will not. Cause what I'm I'm not made of money. Come on. No. Work no, time. you gotta you gotta invest in the good movies like Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, fuck. Or, like, Is that what we're gonna other... have to see next time? Well, that comes out next week. Uh, okay. yeah. So let's let's do a retro one next week. Yes, exactly. So we'll we'll get to find out the week after what we're gonna see. Although it'll probably still be Hobbs and Shaw. No, uh, I, I would hope so because I am going to see it. Yeah, I have a lot of fun with that franchise. Anyway, John, I think we've. Uh, yeah. Reached the end of this podcast. What's, uh, what's What retro movie are we doing next? Uh, it's between Runaway Bride. <laughs> cool. Uh, Have we done a lot of 2009 Parenthood? movies? 2009. Or is that 99 is That's Runaway 99. Bride? That's oh, 99. Wow. And uh, oh, dang, I forget what the 
2000. Anyway, we'll find out next time. <laughs> I, I I did not prep for this. <laughs> That's okay. We talked about two movies. We're doing fine. Exactly. All right. We're Let's go fine. back. Let's go back. Go back to your business. What are these voices we're doing? I don't know. I think, all right, is that a good character? Maybe this is a sassy mom. <laughs> go back to your business. Is, anyway. this your, is this your Timon? No, my Timon would be, go back to your business. That's not a bad uh, uh, Billy Eichner. Aw, thank you so much. Yeah. And on that note, go back to your business. Toot toot. Toot toot.